0: This is Partnership for the Arts Radio. Come join us as
1: we explore the worlds of art.
0: Partnership for the Arts Radio is
1: located at Virtual Edge 360 in Port Charlotte, Florida. This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. Part two
0: of our interview series starts now.
2: So the period I'm talking about probably, it took us from 1980 to 1990, and I guess every year I was putting on more than 100,000 miles traveling all over the uh, uh, world and doing performances all over, between concertizing, a clinician... As a matter of fact, sometimes I'm amused, I'll go into, uh, I'll walk into the mall, uh, Port Charlotte, and uh, there's an organ shop, and I'll walk past there, and I'll hear my arrangements being still played, for all, all this time, you'll say, yeah, I know that one, I remember what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, at the same time, I wrote a book, a music book, it was a music book, for music sales, and I remember I had a complaint, because I was working for three or four companies at the same time, and they said, well, how can you charge us for the four companies on the same day, <laughs> I said, well, it was 24 hours?"
0: <laughs> I just divide.
2: <laughs> so w- that whole period was an intense, uh, intense period of performance and students. And uh... by the way, before this, of course, the 70s, I was in uh, New York teaching many, many students that went on to become professionals. The most notable being. Uh, Marco Beltrami, who is a writer, a music uh, writer of some composition in Hollywood. I think he was up for an Academy Award and a few other things.
1: It's like he did the Scream trilogy, iRobot, and Red Eye, uh, yeah. among other things. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. And
1: that was, he was a student
0: of
2: yours. Oh, yeah, New York. He was a student of mine. In fact, uh, it's funny, with Marco, he, he always wanted to be the number one pianist in a jazz band. And that's always a very difficult thing because there's only one of those people. And I had another student that was, I mean, was astonishingly talented. I knew Markham was never really going to get to that. And he was always kind of disappointed. But he made up for it later because he's got some important work that he's doing in Hollywood.
1: So how did you end up in Southwest Florida? <laughs>
2: okay, that's a good one. Okay. So now, it seems
1: a little bit of a step down from Paris okay. and, you okay. know, now, now, this is, this is, not that I don't, not that
2: I don't love it here. No, no, I understand. It's I different. Well, after 10 years of traveling 100,000 miles, talking with my wife and I said, you know, it's time for me to slow down a little bit. So I think I should retire for a couple of years, just do some writing. And we had bought a house in uh, the Dominican Republic. So we moved to the Dominican Republic. We still kept our house in New York, but we went to the Dominican Republic and we lived there for a few years. Yeah, I didn't want to work at all. <laughs> but the first week this gentleman pulls up on a little bike type a bozzola type thing. He says, Mr. Mancini. So somehow he invites me to this hotel that they have jazz concerts on every night. Patricia said, Let's go out the thing. And they have a little trio there. And he said, Will you sit in? And I said, No. I said, Because I don't do that kind of thing. You have a the pianist there, that's his job, and I'm not going to do that. It's not professional. The pianist comes up to me. He says, look, I want you to sit in. I've heard things about you. I don't know how even heard this stuff. <laughs> but anyway, okay. So I sat in, played a song. So the guy said, oh, I need you to play here every week. I said, no, I can't every week. <laughs> so, so, so the pianist comes up to me and says, I need you to play here every week because I want to study with you. What do you know? And in fact, this guy is top pianist in the Dominican Republic. But anyway, so that's how we got into the Dominican Republic and uh, we homeschooled. My youngest son, Miles, but it came to a point where he was his last year of high school, and I just thought it was a good idea for him to get a school that would be easier to move into the college level from, so an American high school. So we decided to move back, and of course, we had the house in New York. So we moved to New York. I don't think I spent two months there. I said, oh, no, too cold. Too cold, and there might be snow.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, no,
2: no, no. So I had a friend of mine, and he said, "Wow, this is great place. It was number two on the list of places that 19 years ago, 20 years right. ago. So we came down, and the weather was fantastic. I said, okay, this is it.
1: I certainly wouldn't characterize you as being retired, but there are yeah. an amazing number of retired jazz musicians in southwest Florida. Yes, that is correct. That no, it no, It sounds like you retired for about four days there. Right, right exactly. <laughs> This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida.
0: So at this time, George, you, you moved down here, and this is where you really got into teaching again, correct? I taught
2: for a couple of years even at uh, St. Charles, the uh, school that taught the band there. Mm. And that was interesting because... For the first time, it changed from a marching band, and I had them playing Benny Goodman pieces. Begin the Begin was one of the (laughs) pieces that Joey Luna, one of my students, played there. And and now there are so many of the students here uh, that play, like uh, in Manhattan. We We have other students that have just gone on to be very successful in careers, like Joey Luna, I think, teaches at Harvard now. We have people like Daniel Pacific who uh, worked on Hamilton, Washington Heights, playing piano for them, and now he's still involved with Broadway. Then James Navin, he's playing at uh, Smalls, a jazz club in uh, Manhattan, and he's doing wonderfully uh, well. And this year, we just had Jason Cooper, who won uh, a scholarship to Miami, a complete scholarship for music, and won... Also went to Boston University, and I think we'll be going to Boston.
1: Excellent. Well, and I I think your children benefited from the teaching also. I know you have a very musical family that's sometimes been referred to as the U.S. version of the Von Trapps.
0: Uh, Without the Alps.
1: (laughs) Without the Alps.
0: Which, George, that brings up something I wanted to ask you. Give us an example of what it was like raising your children and being involved in the music scene and the jazz clubs.
2: I can tell you, in New York, when I was doing the nightclub scene, closing time was 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So you would play your gig until 4 o'clock, and I remember coming home, and Sunday mornings was lesson time for the children, I had three of them at that time that I would teach, Michelle, George, and Matthew. And I was stupid enough to think I could teach my own children, who did it, which tells you is a bit of insanity that I was involved <laughs> here. But I did it, and I would get, to, uh, maybe at 4 o'clock, go to sleep for two hours, wake up and start teaching the children at nine o'clock in the uh, in the morning so
0: you'd end at four a.m yeah and then start over again the next morning same morning <laughs> the same morning Actually, the same yes. morning. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly and of course then they were included uh, in my work and gigs and uh, what have you so they had very early experience on what it was to be a musician yeah so my son george won a scholarship to berkeley he was very successfully played keyboard, but he was also an accordionist, but he was also a very successful trombonist. That's what led him into uh, his career on trombone. Michelle was a pianist, very accomplished pianist, but a vocalist also. They all doubled on something. And uh, Michelle, I think when she was, by 14, she was doing gigs with uh, with me. She even remembered, I didn't remember this, but one of the pieces she called at the gig was, uh, that we just did at the Sheridan was Pieces of Dreams. And she said, that was the first piece that I had her sing. No. It was (laughs) into it broke out memories. And then my son Matthew, who's a lawyer now, he played keyboards, more proficient on drums and violin. He was truly amusing on violin. He would think that he could improvise when he was very young on on violin when he couldn't. So he would stand there and if you had a video he had all the motions of a violinist improvising. But the sounds were absolutely (laughs)
1: ridiculous.
2: (laughs) But and then of course the youngest son was uh, Miles and uh, Miles has a little uh, artwork from Miles Davis.
0: Ah, the trumpeter, jazz trumpeter, yeah.
2: That uh, from Miles to Miles because that's who he's named after. Nice. Named
0: after Miles nice. Davis.
2: He's a pianist also and still works with piano, but he also teaches at the Florida Gulf Coast the school. So he's a professor there.
0: We're probably going to ask the same question. Your daughter. Uh, Michelle, mm-hmm. is teaching at the school, Absolutely,
2: right? yes. Yeah, she teaches at the high school. I think she's been there for 15 years, maybe longer than the choral teacher there. But sometimes she'll even go into the jazz band and help them out uh, a bit, too. So the three children are all in Florida, and the other is up in Boston. And he hated cold weather, but that's...
1: That's where he is. <laughs> that's, that's where he's, he's located. Well, so you alluded to this with Michelle, but on your Monday night gigs at the Sheraton, you sometimes have uh, guest performers who often are family members.
2: That is correct, yes. And
1: I think one night we were there, and Mm -hmm. your son George, so George Jr., was there, and then your grandson George was also there, playing trumpet. That is correct. Is that right?
2: And there's another grandson. I don't remember if he was there that night. Michael was a very accomplished pianist. Then he goes to the school, the college in Orlando now, but he studied with me for a lot of years uh, uh, also. But he's very successful.
1: I also noticed that Michelle has a couple of evenings coming up at Venice Theater. Ah, right. It's a special occasion. Part of their cabaret series. That is correct. The the men I love or something. And you're one of the men that she loves and who's going to be performing Uh, with her. uh, Right,
2: And the grandson I mentioned, Michael, will be there uh, also. And I will be playing accordion for that. And I've decided because of what I was explaining about the accordion sound, I'm going to play the electronic accordion, but I'm also going to play the acoustic accordion because my son—he was impressed at the rendition I do of Georgia, and it oh, uses that kind of that. double stopping thing that I was telling you a little about.
1: So, and I believe the dates on that are July 20th and 21st, and I, you can get tickets to that at VeniceStage.org. I think so. Very good. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. When you do research, you find out these things. Same <laughs> <Okay, paper>. Yeah. <laughs> George, you and
0: Braddy have obviously traveled the world and you've played many places and, and a lot of students. What's some of the most memorable moments you have out of doing that? Okay.
2: Well, I'm going to start with one that began in east side of New York. And I was very young, my teaching career maybe I had 12 or three or four years and I was teaching this young man, he was about eight years old. And I was trying to teach him Tide notes. And normally there's never a problem teaching Tide notes. Clearly understood. But he was having great difficulty. So certain, I used every technique that I knew to to communicate this and none of them worked. So I said, what does the word Tide mean? He says, that's something my mother washes clothes. (laughs) (laughs) So I took my shoelaces and I tied them together. And I'm saying, that's the kind of Tide that I'm talking about. So, it was a lesson in communication. I think you're saying something, but they're not hearing that. And so you have to be prepared to teach things in at least a half dozen ways. And it's all according to your audience. And I think that helped me when I was teaching in Germany, teaching in France, in Japan. Because often, I would go to Japan and, and play with musicians or teach musicians that they couldn't speak any English at all. Mm-hmm. So we'd have to communicate in a nonverbal way. Well, music is a good way to uh, do that. Still in all, the thing that I basically found out that was more important to me than anything is that there's a certain empathy, a certain understanding between people of the same profession that transcends nationality. And that was an important kind of thing because what it told me is that there's certain universal truths about human beings and you don't get away from those ever. And so I guess that moved it to other areas for me. (laughs) So. uh, Wow.
0: George, well said. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, my name is George Mancini, and I listen to Partnership for the Arts, and it is a rewarding experience.
0: George, you and Patty and your kids have been all over the world. You come back to... Port Charlotte, Punta Gorda And you didn't just come in and settle down, did you?
2: No. No, it was important for me to continue doing my work, which basically was teaching and performing. So the performances were dedicated more to concerts. and I would only do maybe three or four a year, and teaching was a daily endeavor. There was a real reason for me. I have an opportunity as the kind of teaching I do that my daughter doesn't even have, or my son. I can be with a student for 10 years on a daily basis, and I can get some very important information across. As a matter of fact, I sometimes offend people because I'm not just interested in their music education. I want to know how your math marks how your English marks, and so on. Because if I'm doing my job, all of those things should demonstrate it. Because what it's really about with me, where I think that the educational system has a deficiency, I don't care about information as I do with teaching critical thinking techniques. That's what I want. How do you think? Problem solve Because I don't know what's going to happen 20 years from now or 25 years from now in their life. Except I do know they're going to have to be able to figure out stuff.
1: And, you know, it's interesting you say that because that goes back to when you were five years old. And you developed your own skills trying to figure out.
0: How to play the accordion, yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly correct. How to exactly play this accordion. Correct. That's exactly where it came from.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's that's so important. That's really... That's, yeah. So
2: I, I, I tell my students I'm not interested in really producing professional musicians. That has to be vocational, not professional decision, because it's not the easiest profession in, mm. in the world. So you basically have to be uh, dedicated to it in a vocational way, and I guess a little stupid in some other ways. But <laughs> what I'm interested in is teaching them through the techniques of music, how to understand critical uh, thinking techniques. So when they ask me a question, I often will not answer it. They'll have to figure it out. And there is no one correct answer to it. Matter of fact, sometimes it's amazing. They'll come to a certain conclusion. I'll think about it. Say, wow, yeah, that's, that's a correct mm-hmm. answer. And you just got to it.
0: Very unique
2: way. That's okay with me.
1: Nothing wrong with that. And with your approach, it sounds like you're continually learning as well.
2: Oh, I, are, are you kidding? I right. learn every day for my students. <laughs> right. I, I mean, don't know who learns more.
1: Right. I mean, that's, that's got to be one of the reasons why you love it so much too. Right.
2: And I'll do things with my students that I don't think any other uh, teachers will do. I'll do things like if I want to teach them Bach, where, uh, we'll have to try to keep two separate thoughts, which we really don't do. I'll show them a technique where I'll have them, i begin with, I'll write the word dog while I'm spelling the word cat. And this gives them the feeling for it. And then we'll move up to Mississippi and New York and the uh, kinds, uh, kinds of things like that. Be- because what you're really doing is, you're not thinking two separate thoughts, you're thinking a thought against a thought. So uh, I think Scott Fitzgerald had something to say about intelligent people can keep two opposing thoughts uh, in their mind and that was one of the criteria for intelligence. It really has something to do with not being two separate thoughts, although it appears to be that way because you get to a unique place. And then another interesting, I think interesting thing that I will tell my music uh, students is they have to understand for want of a better description, the subconscious and the conscious. The conscious is what teaches you and understands, but the subconscious is what knows. So I'll give them an example. You can read a book on tennis. You understand everything about it. And I'll say, now, can you play tennis? No, of course you can't. Because it's not in the subconscious yet. It's just the conscious. You've just figured it out. You understand it, but you don't know it.
1: So, well, um, I played the piano when I was growing up. And what I was just thinking when I was listening to George is that I would have benefited so much from having a teacher like you. I think I would have... um, probably still be playing and I think it would have just enriched my life so much so well, I'm jealous of those kids that you're working with today new student
0: <laughs> if, yeah. if, if the student apologies George you were saying if a student
2: if a student stops when they're on my schedule I consider it my failure
0: hmm. in what way why is that because that
2: means that I have not communicated what I want to communicate and it's a rare occasion. And I, I'm uncomfortable with every time that it happens because it's my failure. If I knew enough, I'd be able to communicate something that would be interesting, exciting, and uh, would have kept them continuing mm-hmm. with me. And apparently
0: I missed the mark. And uh, it happens at times. Always striving for more, right? Yes. yes. That's the, one of the reasons we're here. George, Now, how many students are you teaching?
2: Right now I've cut back uh, dramatically and I teach about uh, 10 or 12 students
1: (laughs) that's cut back dramatically yes
2: oh there was a time when I would teach 70 students a week
1: wow so
0: you have 10 to 12, yes. which means you get to spend more time with them. You, you yes. get to be more face-to-face and value time, oh, so yeah. to speak. Exactly. And they're learning something, you're learning something. And you have a history, obviously, of working with ones on, on to contribute back to the music industry in the world and the whole experience of teaching students from all over the world. When you reflect back on that, what happens? What do you experience?
2: Well, the joy of having a little something to do with someone finding a, a happy place in their life. I don't think there could be anything better than that. To have something that you've added to someone's life.
1: Well said. George, this has been such a delight to talk to you today.
0: Well, I've enjoyed it uh, a great deal. Well, I just wanted to ask...
1: No. I keep, I keep finding places. I'm like, that's a great ending. Stop. It's just one more. You'll appreciate this. Okay. <laughs> you're,
0: okay. Your students are teaching. Now. And you're playing at the four points. Share things. You're also playing in that venue with your daughter. Yes. 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 Uh, anything else? No,
2: I, I will take a performance if my children ask me to do it. If George will ask me to do a gig with him, I'll, I'll we'll do, do the gig. I don't know. Maybe a... a Periodically, I like to check out if I've really accomplished anything, so uh, maybe I'll do a couple of concerts near, future. maybe some larger venues, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I, I was asking on the next half if you had room for one more student.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida.
0: You can find this and other episodes of our talk show on our website, partnershipfortheartsgroup.org.